This is what we want to do. We want to suck less tomorrow than we do today. I mean, compared to like the star schmucks and the Dunkin' Donuts and all those <laughs> of the world, we suck, right? Like we're just this, you know, independent, small little coffee shop making barely anything. Well, how about we all try to suck less tomorrow than we do today? And all I want you to think about is little changes you can make, like measuring your milk a little more precisely, trying to sell one extra pastry per shift. Those are my examples. What examples do you have? And anytime you think of something, share it with the group. Let's all try to suck less tomorrow than we do today. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Amanda Neely. And today we're learning lessons from a successful entrepreneur who started a business and then it wasn't going so well. And she turned it around, made it successful and sold it off. And then now entered into her new business a few years ago and is being successful in that business as well. And we learn what went wrong in her original business, the small changes that they made one after the other to change the business, turn it around, be successful, get it cash flowing, and then eventually sell it off and move on to what they're up to today. So a lot of fantastic lessons in here. And her business, her original business was not in real estate. We're here to talk about real estate, but there are so many lessons in this that are applicable to real estate investing. And she helps us translate those into the real estate investing space in this interview. And I think this is important for the real estate investors out there who might be struggling in your business, realizing that it's not going exactly the way you want. There are small changes that you can make to change your business from you know, a, a neutral money machine or a lo money loser into a, a money machine that's paying you every month. And, and Amanda teaches us the lessons today that she learned that turned her first business around. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment buildings and self-storage properties. If you're interested in learning more and potentially investing in one of our future deals, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, and take the next step. So once again, investwithtaylor.com. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And people see your ratings, they see your reviews, and they say, hey, this person learned a lot from this show. I bet I can learn something too. And they tune in. And you know what? I see your ratings and reviews as well. And I appreciate that so much. As I always say, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see those. And that way I know you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. No matter what podcast app you use, if you do enjoy the show, do take a moment and look us up and hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. That's when we're here. That's when we're doing it. I do, when we're recording this episode, I do actually have COVID right now that I'm speaking. I'm recording to you guys now. By the time you're listening to this, I will be well over it. I actually feel very well, just a little congested, but if I sound a little nasally, that is the explanation as to why I'm on the back end. I'm doing fine. Don't worry about me. But just so you know, figured I would disclose that. But don't worry, since we're talking through a device, you're not getting exposed, right? It's all good. If I sound a little nasally, it's because I have COVID right now. Once again, our guest today is Amanda Neely. We're learning so many lessons from her first business ownership and, and entrepreneurial experience, how it went wrong, how she turned it around, how they eventually exited and got into the current business that they're in today. So much great information. Without any further ado, here we go. Amanda, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. 
Hey, well, we've had a great conversation so far, and I'm sure we're going to have a great conversation for our listeners out there. For the folks out there who don't know about you and what you do, can you tell us about your background and what you're up to these days? Yeah. So really, I'm all about making a positive difference in the world. You know, since I was a kid, it's about I forced my parents to recycle, started my career in the nonprofit sector because I thought that's how you change the world. And I realized that there were other ways to change the world, um, which led me to starting a business that was a local independent coffee shop rooted in community, right? To, you know, that sourced it, our ingredients fairly and, you know, all those things. And that was good. I call that my mini MBA program. But really what changed my life during that time was getting serious about money and thinking about how do I make money work for me so that I can give more and make a bigger impact that was a total mindset shift that totally that's now led me to being a financial professional and helping people break through to smart stable financial futures awesome i love that i'm i'm currently going through the process of deciding how to incorporate like charitable giving with my business but we won't we don't need to uh, dig into that and i'd like to you know i love coffee and i love the story of folks starting local businesses especially with uh, the mind on having a positive impact so do you mind telling us about you know your experience there and how you got into it, your what your things you learned, and you know how you eventually got out? Yeah, so to go back in the way the way back machine, <laughs> it was maybe the summer of 2007. My husband just almost flippantly was like, "We should start a coffee shop," and I was just like, "No, immediately, no, not going <laughs> to do that." <laughs> and he slowly, slowly but surely, he convinced me. March of 2008, we we actually took a an adventure to Seattle, Mecca for an American coffee and toured some independent coffee shops there, got to meet a couple of managers and owners. And we spent that week writing our business plan. Then we sat on it because, you know, 2008, we all know what kind of started happening and mm-hmm. really coming to the surface at that point. 2009, we decided, okay, we're going to start getting serious about this, at least taking some steps. So we started just sharing the vision with people, trying to figure out how we're going to do this thing. Learned it takes about $250,000 to open a coffee shop. And we had student debt. So we were like, we don't have anything toward this. So how are we going to do this? And then of course, my large national nonprofit that I was working for, the recession caught up with them. They announced layoffs. And I was, I young, what was, so that was 2009. I was 25, totally didn't know anything about how these things work. And I raised my hand, Hey, I'm thinking about leaving soon anyway, to go start my own business. I don't want you to lay off someone else that has a family to feed. Right. But because I raised my hand, no unemployment, right. It was just, Ah. okay. we'll keep you for a couple extra months, but you know, so you can train your replacement, but it's going to be as if you're being uh, not laid off, but that you're resigning because I raised my hand. So during that two months, I arranged to do an internship at a, a nice uh, couple that owned a coffee shop in a different neighborhood than we were thinking about starting with. And that was tremendous. I left that nonprofit, started the internship the very next day, worked for free for them for three months. And really like learned the business, learned how to make lattes, right? Learned how pricing was. I actually updated their pricing. Super invaluable. Um, I got way more benefit out of that than just a paycheck. And then because they needed some extra help after I was done with that internship, I worked a little bit as a barista for them just to make some extra money, make some ends meet. 
And so that that was 2009. It still took to March of 2011 for us to actually open the doors and figure out how to make everything work. And we did it. Broke kids, right? Like with no money, we figured it out. And we ended up the biggest thing we did was bring the cost down by partnering with some other folks. And it ended up costing less than a hundred thousand to start instead of two hundred and fifty thousand. Awesome. Yeah. So we were super proud of ourselves, super excited. And then the reality of business actually set in, right? We had to figure out how do we pay for inventory, how do we pay off the debt that we took to get going? How do we pay ourselves enough to actually live for the first two years we lived on just the tips in the tip jar, a dollar or two per hour for me and my husband. Um, we paid our staff, you know, better than or about minimum wage, minimum wage uh, without tips, but they still got tips on top of it. So a dollar or two above minimum wage, because that's all we could afford. Right. And we just kind of figured it out, but we did get to the point two years in where we were totally broken. Right. Our marriage was on the rocks. We couldn't. I, I was to the point I was vomiting from the stress and just struggling to put one foot in front of the other and one foot in front of the other. Wow. And some really cool things started happening. It didn't start with money. It started with some of our friends, some of our community, people that loved us, reminding us that they loved us and that we loved each other and that we needed to love ourselves. So we're like, even if it costs us money, we're going to take a couple hours off on a Friday evening when the coffee shop's normally slow anyway. And we're, we're going to just be together as people, right? My husband and I, and the only rule is we can't talk about money or we can't talk about the business, right? We just have to like relate to one another. How are you feeling? What are your hopes and dreams? That kind of stuff. And that was literally the tiny adjustment that started off a whole revolution of, well, if we can like love ourselves with a little bit of our time, what does that look like to when it applies to more of our time? What does it look like then when it applies to our money? And so, and it just, as we started asking those questions and looking for the answers, we found that that transformation that ended up happening, these tiny little bits of information, these tiny little, you know, questions then finding the answers to them put us in a totally different place. By 2018, we'd actually sold the business. We were and moved into a new business. We were starting a family, feeling really great. And now we're four years into that business and making way more than we made in the coffee shop uh, in terms of our own pay, even if the gross revenue is a little less or about the same so far. Wow. Well, that's a great story. And I'm, I'm glad you made it through and and you had made that turn to um take time amongst yourselves to you know like you said love yourselves and you know dedicate some time to just you know being people rather than being employees of your own business essentially and i think that's it seems to be what a lot of people especially with small businesses find is they get to the point where they can't sell it or they they can't exit in a satisfactory manner that either gets them the, the the payout that they need or they find that nobody's really interested in in their business. Can you walk us through the process of getting your business to that point? Because it it obviously took you years to get there to sell the sell the business. So tell us about how you made that happen. Yeah. So there were two big aha moments where we learned critical strategies and systems. And then it was really walking through implementing those. 
So the first one was learning about the infinite banking or bank on yourself concept and figuring out that we could have a retirement one day. We could have money that even if we set it aside for retirement, we could still use it to grow the business or to develop other sources of income in the meantime without locking it up in a 401k or IRA. And we were like, oh, this is this is awesome. We Our future shouldn't suffer because we decided to start a business. So we figured out like we want to have that disciplined savings, budgeting, right? Like making sure we're paying attention to our numbers and moving it in the right direction. And the infinite banking concept gave us that didn't give us a bunch of money all at once, right? But it helped us create that discipline in our lives in a a way that felt really good for us, aligned with our values, what we wanted our money to be doing for us. And then about six months later, I heard this really awesome guy named Mike Michalowicz on a podcast, not your podcast. I know he's been on that. He has been been on the show, yes. (laughs) This would have been back like 2016, I think, 2017. And he talked about this profit first concept. And that's all I heard was like, pay yourself first rather than last. I didn't get the book. I didn't do anything. I just went back and said, well, instead of running our payroll at the end of the month and whatever happens with the business, that's what we get paid. We're going to run, we're going to say, here's our basic income, what we need. We're going to pay ourselves at the beginning of the month and then figure out how to run the business off the rest. That's all I did. I didn't do any like allocations or bank accounts. I didn't read the book, just, just did that. And because we were then taking money out of the business, putting it into our personal coffers, building some reserves, then when the business actually had a flood, it had to be the roof, they were repairing the roof of the building we were in and we had to close. And of course, then we're waiting for insurance claims and everything to go through. Typically, if you didn't have a reserve, you're going into credit card debt, you're running to a bank, trying to take out loans, try to figure out how you're going to pay the last payroll, you know, all those things. Instead, we had these reserves. We were able to put it into the business. We were able to even pay our own rent and, you know, groceries and all that for ourselves. So no debt then being added. So we got through that, right? And so we're showing A, a profitable business and B, that the business can last through even being closed for a couple of weeks um, due to an emergency. And then, um, because actually it was about six months later or six weeks later that I found out I was pregnant. And we're like, we can't do this coffee shop and raise a kid (laughs) the way we want to raise a kid. Let's start exploring options. And that's when we found someone that was interested in buying the business. And because they knew they could pay a manager, because we'd been paying ourselves Mm -hmm. what they could pay a manager. And because they knew that the business had already made it through a rough patch, that they could survive that same same kind of rough patch, it was a no-brainer for them to buy the business. Wow. So, but that still leaves uh, and this. Okay, so I want to step back a little bit. This yeah. is what indicates to me that that you and um, you know, I don't know your husband at all. Never met him, but that, that you or the two of you are entrepreneurs at heart, and and you you might have known that before or discovered that through this whole process. But the fact that you found out you were pregnant and then you said, okay, we need to get out of this and you continue to push forward rather than get stuck on the question of, okay, we need to get out, but what are we going to do then? Like, what, How are we going to figure that out on the back end? You you kept pushing through and I'd like to dig into that and, and understand your thought process behind, okay, we need to sell this business, but we probably still need to make money after we get done, after we sell the business. What are we going to do later? Tell us about that and and how that that question alone 
didn't lead you to just keep the coffee business because it was working. It just wasn't working mm-hmm. the way you ideally wanted it to. Yeah. I think some of it is that, you know, we had already been on this, what, four or five year journey at that point of putting ourselves first rather than the business first. So, and we had this reserve that we had built up that even if we didn't have income for a short period of time, we'd be okay, right? We might, you know, use that reserve, but um, we could figure it out. There was also a little bit of this knowing that my husband could actually go back to the cubicle he was in before we started this whole journey and they would take him very, like they loved him. They were sad to see him go. He totally dragged his feet. He did not want to do that. Um, (laughs) He never even applied to do that. Um, but yeah, we like, and also knowing, so we arranged for the sale of the business. So we'd know three months later that our son was due to be born. So we'd also have this like maternity paternity time to get our family going. We weren't too concerned, but funny enough, a few weeks before the business was about to be sold, um, and like passing off the, you know, training the new managers and all that was going to start taking place. Cause we, we did arrange to like stay on for three weeks to train the new management before totally leaving. So like a few weeks before that, even that transition happened, a good friend of ours who was our certified financial planner reached out to us to say, Hey, do you know anyone who'd want to do what I do? I'd love to train them. And as my husband was, you know, trying to think of who would be a good fit, I turned to him and I'm like, you would be a great fit. You'd be awesome at sales. You can talk to anybody, you know, like go apply. And so he applied and they actually told him, no, you're too entrepreneurial. You can't work mm. in the financial sector. There's a box that you need to stay in if you're going to be a financial professional and you can get in really big trouble if you go outside that box. So sorry, no can do. And then they came back a couple of days later and said, actually, we thought about it. We want, we think you can do this, but we want you to do it as your own business rather than part of our business. So not an employee, just someone we train and mentor. And that way you can exercise your entrepreneurialness in your branding, you know, developing the business side of things. And we'll just teach you the financial box that you to stay in. And we want Amanda to do it with you because she's more of the stay within the box type person. I am a rule follower. I love learning rules and following them, but also learning when you can go outside of them and when you can't. I'm a, I studied music, actually I ended up minoring in music in college because I just loved taking music classes. And that's what you do in music. You learn the box, you know, the chords, the rhythms, but you also learn when to bend the, the box a little bit to make things interesting to keep, you know. And so they knowing that part of me, they're like, you guys do it together. And so this whole day after kind of thing again happened where we passed off. We officially closed up uh, training the new management. The next day we started mentoring with Mark, that certified financial planner, and uh, we're becoming officially financial professionals ourselves. Wow. So just uh, out of curiosity, is the coffee shop still open? I mean, nobody really saw COVID coming and it, it survived for a few weeks years ago, but COVID was a completely different story. Right. So we were also having some landlord issues, which was part of why we knew we needed to sell. And they ended up being kicked out of the building Mm. that we were in on our son's first birthday was the last day they were able to be in operation there. But we actually sold it to a nonprofit that believed in our mission. They had a 20-year track record and they were able to get rally their donors and everything. And they actually bought a building on Michigan Avenue in Chicago and have a co-working space an incubator program, the coffee shop. They do events there to feature black and brown artists on the South side of Chicago. 
they not only are surviving, they are thriving compared with what we could have done, not having, you know, those same donors to rally around us and help make something like that happen. Wow. That's, that's great. That's awesome. So, oh, I want to dig into the, before we, you know, go on the uh, next part of the show, I want to really dig into the profit first concept and, and how you've actually implemented that because the, it's a simple idea, right? Pay yourself first, but the mental stumbling block, at least in the case of a, a coffee shop then becomes, well, coffee beans cost what coffee beans cost and rent costs what rent costs and you have employees and all of those things. What did that mean to you, you know, either in that business or in, in your business now, you know, in like a nuts and bolts sense, you pay yourself first, but okay, we still have costs in our businesses, right? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I think is overlooked a lot when we people look at profit first with all the bank accounts and the allocation percentages and all of that is this idea of 1% adjustments. And we actually sat our staff down. We had like a little staff meeting. We bought them all dinner and we said, okay, this is what we want to do. We want to suck less tomorrow than we do today. I mean, compared to like the star schmucks and the Dunkin' Donuts and all those <laughs> of the world, we suck, right? Like we're just this, you know, independent, small little coffee shop making barely anything. Well, how about we all try to suck less tomorrow than we do today? And all I want you to think about is little changes you can make, like measuring your milk a little more precisely trying to sell one extra pastry per shift. Those are my examples. What examples do you have? And anytime you think of something, share it with the group. Let's all try to suck less tomorrow than we do today because then we can give you better raises, right? Our customers will feel the excitement and the energy that we have and how that's a little different. Let's just try to do this. And it was really fascinating what happened then in terms of us seeing where areas where there was waste, ways we could make slight changes to add say a new menu with the, or like a new item to the menu with the same ingredients that we had before so that we wouldn't have to, you know, have more spoilage. Right. Um, or that would excite people that, Oh, they got to try that new item. Right. We did, we started doing a, a drink of the month. Right. And sometimes it would be like, what flavor do we have too much in inventory right now? Right. <laughs> That's how it works. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And it was so much fun. It brought us much better together as a team. And on the the backside of the the business, I was, you know, kind of the back office type thing. I started noticing things like we're not using the subscription or if we paid annually, we'd save more money than if we're paying monthly. Right. And so I would be doing that as well at the same time. And I felt like I'm being part of this bigger movement. Plus, you know, increasing top line revenue didn't hurt either paying off debt so that we didn't have that going out every month. All those things were good too. But it really like the fun came in bringing other people around us. And I know a lot of people here aren't going to ever own a coffee shop. They're going to be in real estate, which can, you know, often feel like a very lonely business, right? And there's not as much fun to do with measuring milk or reducing spoilage. So it can be harder to think about reducing expenses. But there could there could be some of those examples. But if there's also the increasing the rent. Mm -hmm. And if you can't do Big that, one. right? Maybe thinking about, you know, like as you're scaling, right? Moving from single family to multifamily, moving from multifamily to commercial, a lot of those things can increase your profit and help you move toward a more profitable business in a different way than just, you know, measuring milk and selling an extra pastry can. Well, I appreciate you uh, translating that for, for a real estate investing audience. That was a, I think your first example is 
really the, the perfect one that I could think of, at least off offhand, but I don't think we could come up with a better one, particularly in the mom and pop landlord space. We see people, folks who have tenants that have been in there for 20 years and their rent is still the same. Whereas, you know, yeah. the the business owner thing to do is to bake in an annual increase into each one of your leases and keep your rents consistent with the market and yep. run it like a business. And and folks don't do that, particularly when they self-manage. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Great. Well, I'm, you know, I'm glad it all worked out for you and I appreciate you sharing your story with us right now. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called Ground Floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Amanda, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm 100%. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Yeah, it's really taking the time and money for myself and investing in myself rather than just in my business. Well, I really appreciate, especially the example you gave early on about taking a few hours on Friday uh, afternoon or evening when the business is slow anyway. Can't talk about the business and that turned things around for you. That's that's a great example. Thanks. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah, this one's really hard because while I love the infinite banking concept, which is built on whole life, before I'd ever heard about that, I actually had some whole life with another company that shall remain nameless, um, <laughs> the innocent here. And I lost a lot of money on that policy and swore off whole life for the rest of my life, right? Never going to do that. And it is pretty scary out there in terms of what some people think is infinite banking and that isn't really. So lost a lot of money as it wasn't properly structured to do what you want to do because you're still alive. So you got that going for you. Right. It wasn't properly structured, built Mm. no cash value in the first 10 years. And I only held it for three years. So all those premiums never saw. Interesting. Okay. So you do certainly not an expert on infinite banking, but you do need that high cash value to take loans uh, from. Yep. So my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Yeah, it really is do what is good for you. 
there are so many people out there that will tell you, you should do this. You should do that, but they never help. Like it's always blanket things, right? Save more, or, you know, spend less than you earn, you know, very like typical things out there, but the real power comes in learning how to apply it to your specific situation. And only you can do that. And there's very few allies out there that will help you do that without an agenda of trying to get you to do X, Y, or Z because that's the product that they're selling. That's very well put. I think people, when money gets involved, people tend to make different recommendations or or maybe their their ethics even get a little blurred and, and the logic changes. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big believer in start with setting up your goals, start it pretend you're king or queen of money for the day and say what you want your money to do for you. And then go find what's going to do that for you rather than look at the products and the advice first. Spend as much time as you need getting clear on what you want and where you're going and then go find it. Awesome. Well, Amanda, thank you for joining us today and sharing all of these lessons with me and with our audience. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, or if you're watching us on YouTube, just look up Wealth Wisdom and you'll find the Neelys and uh, our show. And then if you do want to know exactly what website to go to, it's grandmaswealthwisdom.com. Nice. I love that brand. It it invokes a certain certain image and uh, I certainly appreciate that. And I want to thank you for coming on the show today. And I want to thank everybody out there for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If you're interested in learning more about what I do and helping people passively invest in commercial real estate, go to investwithtaylor.com. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.